Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also, you can check out uh, Rasslin' Memories live and in the moment at our website, radionorthland.org, and that TuneIn radio app. You can get in and send your smartphone, go to the Google Play, wherever you, you get your stuff, right? Whether you have an iPhone or an Android. Uh, yeah, you can check us out, uh, our, also, uh, our archives. I almost forgot to mention that. It's been so, a long time since I've been on the program here. Uh, you can go check out the archives uh, at Radio northland.org over 10 years of uh, wrestling memories well my name is glenn Broggett. i mentioned it or haven't i well if i haven't i'm glenn Broggett, along with my friend down there deep in the heart of texas says uh, we we're just getting into the uh, early early days of october and the early weeks of autumn and a man who is uh, as of this recording is celebrating uh, another another year gone by another trip around the sun i'm talking about mike mccurdy the, the grizzled vet Mike, uh, it's, is it birthday time for you, man? Uh, today actually is my birthday, yes, October 1st, uh, 49 years old. My oh. last year of the 40s, and then next year I'll be the big 5-0, so. Oh, wow. But, yes, so far so good, and enjoying myself. Man, you got a you gotta road to 50 coming up here as of uh, today, huh? This is, uh, this is pretty interesting. Well, I turned 45 la- last May, so. Uh, I kind of know what these little monumental every five years, you kind of like, oh, wow, I made it through again. <laughs> but yes, happy birthday, Grizzled Vet. And uh, man, you're here. What a pro, too, on his birthday, recording an episode of Wrestling Memories. I, I do do appreciate that. I kind of looked forward to it, actually. I thought it was kind of fun that I was going to be able to record an interview today, mm-hmm. especially with a gentleman that I've had the opportunity to know for many years. So oh, yeah, looking yeah. forward to it. And I think the road to 50, we're going to have to, we're going to have to put their nose to the grindstone and get us some big interviews for this year, you know? Yeah, yeah, we'll dig deep on that. And while, while uh, we were away on, on our uh, little holiday, I guess, uh, uh, I, I attended, I actually did some commentary for Destination Pro Wrestling in here in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. They had a show uh, on the 18th of September at the Curling Club here in the lovely scenic postcard picturesque community of Thief River Falls. And it went over pretty well. There was a packed house. Uh, sounds like there's going to be another show coming up in January. Not going to be in the Curling Club because, it, yeah, it's going to be a little too cold for that. Uh, but anyway, they're going to be at the uh, Armory in town here. So, And there's talk of some some uh, surprises, some possible uh, indie vets making an appearance here. And we're not talking about... Uh, any ham and eggers here so yeah it was kind of fun to be a part of it i got there early did the, all the meet and greet stuff and went through the did the run through and you know got the, all the little notes and bullet points it was, it was fun kind of seeing a show start from start to finish uh, work itself up you know and then get everything ready to go and then see it pull off get see it pu- get pulled off well i mean you're no stranger to the indie stuff but i mean it was kind of kind of fun for me to get behind the scenes no, it's always interesting to do that, especially when you go like I have from a, you know, an empty room with nobody in it to, you know, a building full of six with 600 fans screaming at the top of their lungs. So when you get to see it from the beginning to the end and actually get to participate in it, it's really a different experience. Yeah, and it's kind of fun now to actually have uh, some some independent wrestling. They're going to be quarterly shows, but it is really nice to, to have at least some pipeline for pro wrestling here in Thief River Falls and uh, uh, one of the local guys is uh, doing the promoting uh, who lives in town here and has been wrestling for a while and oh uh, yeah and uh, from what from all indications I think I might if I'm not busy with something else uh, might be involved with the the armory show here in January 
Well, there you go, man. Gary Seven on a sidekick. Yeah. You know, pretty soon you'll be the Howard Finkel of, uh, you know, Beef River Falls. I don't know about that. That'd take a lot of work. Uh, yeah, and I just started the the, the, the Jonathan Plombaum book. Uh, now you've, you've you've gotten this book, haven't you? Uh, the um, author of Jonathan Plombaum, the author of Tor- uh, Tortured Ambition: The Story of Herb Abrams and the UWF. I've been uh, reading. I, I'm going to probably get a little more momentum, more reading momentum here into the next uh, couple of week uh, days here. But I'm really in, kind of enjoyed what I've read here, reading about a, a fascinating man who tried to do something major. And, uh, well, we, we all know what happened. Well, yeah, we all know the story of the UWF. Yes, I, I do own that book. I have not really had a chance to sit down and uh, to uh, pick it up and start going through it yet. I got an interesting book, though. I shared this with you. I got an interesting book as a gift from a friend for my birthday because, uh, you know, they see, you know, oh, it's a wrestling book. Michael want to read this. I'm going to buy it for him. So that's sure. how they end up doing this. And I ended up with a book called Johnny Canine, My Life with the Pro Wrestler Turned Serious Gangster by Tracy Kaiser. She oh. was uh, Johnny Canine's girlfriend. She was a stripper. I'm starting to read some of her book, and it's a, you know, a lot about her life and her life with Johnny Canine. And I don't know a lot about Johnny Canine, Bruiser Bedlam, and all that, but I've kind of thumbed through it a little bit. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I'd like to reach out, maybe possibly uh, see about having her on as a guest, maybe down the road, but mm-hmm. interesting take. But like I said, my friends see wrestling book and say, Hey, Mike's going to want that. So I get an interesting collection that way, but this is kind of one of those little, you know, little hidden gems, you know, yeah. it's a different take on the wrestling. Yeah, scene, yeah, so. for sure. I mean, I, I didn't even know about that book. Uh, I might have to, after you get done fully reading it, uh, you know, give me the full review. I definitely am going to consider reading it because uh, I remember watching him uh, just do jobs for the WWF. Uh, I used to get the uh, Winnipeg feed uh, for uh, the WWF uh, called, or it, it was broadcast throughout Canada, called Maple Leaf Wrestling. And uh, yeah, he, he did a lot of jobs on the show. But speaking of interesting, you we've got a guest and I know you're charmed at the bit to have him on the program and give him the proper introduction he so richly deserves. And uh Hey, we may even learn a few things today. So I'm going to let you do that, and I'm going to kick back, listen, and find a way to put my shots in, too, here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking with our guest today. Uh, got a chance to meet this gentleman in oh, 2004, two, 2005, when I was going to the uh, the Portland Wrestling Tapings and West Coast Wrestling Connection uh, shows in uh, Portland, Oregon, Salem, Oregon, back in the day when I was still living in California. Uh Referred to as the ref of the Northwest, and he's been in the ring with so many Pacific Northwest names and been friends with so many legends of the sport that we're all going to recognize it. I was looking forward to having him on as a guest to kind of talk about you know his life and career in the ring. And Today we have it. So I'd like to uh, welcome to this week's edition of Wrestling Memories, Mr. Mark Watson. Mark, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you guys doing? Here we go. We're doing good, man. Like I said in the introduction, you know, I've been looking forward to this interview because, you know, I've known you since, oh, probably around 2004, I think, is when Joe Souza introduced us. But, uh, you know, okay. I've had a chance to watch you work in the ring, and, you know. Okay. But I don't know a lot about your career, so. Okay. Well, I, I started around 1994 and right after Don Owens had retired and worked for a guy named Richard Small in a short, short-lived promotion. And then in 96, I met, um, uh, or in the 94 promotion, I met Smart Bar Sawyer. And then um, I was in 96, I was coming home from work and picking up my son, who was, I think he was like four years old at that time. And um, 
I kept seeing this ring in a backyard, like a wrestling ring, about two houses down from my mother-in-law, right? And I was listening to a radio talk show, and it was Tough, Tough Tony Bourne and Matt Bourne talking on talk show about how they were training wrestlers in their backyard, and I knew they lived in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Oregon. So I put two and two together and figured out, okay, so I kept, you know, I kept rubberneck in my head every day. I'd drive by and see if I could see anybody in the backyard. And what happened was one day Smart Bart's car was out front. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go say hi. And so um, I went and he introduced me to Matt Bourne, who was the original Doink the Clown in WWE and Big Josh and WCW. And um, he introduced me and um, I was, let's see, I was 30. 1990, 1996, I was 35 at the time. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to become a wrestler. And I said, no, I said, oh, no, start wrestling, but I bet you I could be a darn good referee. He goes, you know what? I don't have a referee right now. I'm going to be starting up in three months. And he goes, here, come here. And he kind of took me aside and he goes, you give me $250 and I'll make you a referee. And he was charging the wrestlers like 1200 so that was such a deal. So I said, yeah, it's done. So I went over there three days a week after work for um, for three months and then got my start in, I think it was July of 96 and did it all the way up until May of 2019 when I finally retired. So that had a good, um, a good 23 years plus the short-lived promotion, um, 23 plus years in business. Now, obviously, you were a fan of uh, wrestling and all that before you started uh, as a referee and all that, living in the Oregon area and the Portland Territory and everything. Uh, what was it about like professional wrestling that kind of got your interest? Well, I think my my dad used to watch it on TV every Saturday night. We just had a little black and white TV, you know, like my earliest memory is probably about five or six, 66, 67, somewhere around there, and then. My dad was manager of Myron Frank down in Salem, which is now Macy's. And they used to, the unknown's promotion used to come to Salem every Thursday night at the Salem Grand Theater. And my dad's promotional guy at, at Myron Frank would give him free tickets for me and my brother. So I was probably nine or 10 years old. And um, he took us to wrestling oh, probably three or four times. And I remembered the Kangaroos versus the Von Steigers. Curtin Carl Von Steiger, the hated bald Germans, and then uh, Cowboy Frankie Lane against Dutch Savage. And I remember watching the, the action. I remember it kind of spilled out into the parking lot, and the, I would literally be peering through my dad's legs. And um, I saw the Von Steigers. They hit his head on a windshield and broke the windshield, and it was all bloody and everything. And my dad felt it was getting out of hand. He goes, come on, boys, let's go, because I was like 10. My brother was like 12. And so let's go. And we're already out in the parking lot. And I guess, no, Dad, it's not done yet. And from that moment, I was hooked. Now, you know, you're mentioning, you know, the Von Steggers and the Kangaroos. And that point in time in the uh, Portland Territory, I mean, that was just one of the hottest territories in professional wrestling as far as, you know, the regional areas go and all that. But, you know, getting to grow up and watch wrestling in the Portland Territory as it was happening, getting to see all these legends, you know, what was that like? Oh, yeah. That was great. I mean, I, I mean, I was look forward to it every Saturday night. You know, I'd have a VCR if I was out doing something, and seeing Buddy Rose and Rip Oliver and Dutch Savage and Stan Stasiak and just, I mean, Tough Tony Bourne and Roddy Piper and Rick Valentine and I mean, they had numerous stars that came through the territory. Andre would come in once or twice a year, and 
they'd have the, the battling midgets and they'd have the, the women wrestlers after 19, I think they told them they could come in after like 1976 or whatever. It was illegal in Oregon for many years. And, uh, just every week was an adventure, you know, and they'd always bring in new talent and so try to keep it fresh. And just, I just really enjoyed it, especially in the mid to late eighties and, uh, and, and, and 90 and up until 92 when Don Owens retired December 28th of 1992. So I was, I was a fan for years and years and years and just, just watch it all the time on Saturday night. Now you said you were, you know, you became friends with uh, Bart Sawyer. Who are some of the other the guys along the run before you really got into it that you know you got to know? Um, well, there were some guys like uh, that were still in the business when I started. Guys like Buddy Rose was still in the business. Me and Mike Miller was still in the business. Lenny the Grappler, and um, let's see, the can- uh, Lord Jonathan Boyd, one of the Kangaroos, was still in, and. Um, See Bruiser Brian Cox and Smart Bart Sawyer and um, Rick Valentine and uh, C.W. Bergstrom. Um, you know the list goes on and on. And, uh, Billy Two Eagles and uh, um, Doctor Luther and just uh, there's a lot of a lot of guys that, that were in the square circle with me over the years. And kind of evolved after some of those guys retired, and then they brought in some guys from Canada, and and uh, like Scotty Mack and Dr. Luther, and um, some guys from California, like Big Ugly, and some of the guys that Joe's really familiar with from the Bay Area, and uh, the Gigolo, Steve Rosano, and so yeah, there was a lot of guys. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Now, when you first started, uh, you said that you know Tony Bourne asked you if you wanted to be a wrestler and you'd, you'd turn that part down, but you said you could be a referee and he started to train you. When you're in there and you're right. first doing your training and all that, and you're kind of learning, you know, inside the ring, you know, what you would watch outside, you know, what was that like? Right. And what were some of the things you remember your first part of training? I remember uh, just uh, Matt was a referee before he started working. He used to drive a ring truck for his dad and referee on the road before he had his first match was around 78 or 79 and so he knew everything about it and knew and he would just show me what to do like here's you know at the very beginning you look at their feel their wrist where their tape is you know their um their waist you know their knee pads and down to their boot and you know give them instructions at the very you know you know hey you guys you know no eye gouging just you're kind of pantomiming you know and just and you know ring the bell and then you always go in the opposite direction the thrusters go in to make the action a faster and you know when they have to get lock up and go to a corner. You have to go there, you know, count one, two, three, you have to break it before five and just, just showed me every facet of the business, um, that, uh, that I he had to, and just when within going over there and they had these guys that were training in the ring. And so I would do, we would just have mock matches, you know, they would, he was training them and training me at the same time. So then, then Bart and Matt would get in there and they, and their level of, you know, athleticism and, you know, what they knew in the ring was so much higher than the guys that were training with me, like Tony Kazina and Chuck Bam Bam Gordy and some of the other guys. But, um, but I could just tell, I mean, they were sharp, sharp as attack, you know, as compared to the guys that were still, still trying to break in. So during your training, you know, when you're realizing all this, you're actually seeing how basically 
because you know the referee is a, is the third person in the ring. You know, and they're a major part of the match in you know many ways. As you're seeing how it unfolds and you're learning, and you're kind of that curtain's being opened. You know, how did that kind of open your eyes to uh, you know what you had been watching for years before that? Right, right, and you know, like I had somewhat of an idea, but um, I, I mean, there's a lot of things. Sometimes he would uh, he would pay Mark, you know, come out of the ring. I'm going to jump in, then he would show me what I did right and what I did wrong. And just kind of, he would say, Hey, you know, go sit out on the thing. And a tough Tony was basically, he was just, just around there with a, with his cane and he'd be slapping the, slapping the mat with it. That rough grappling voice. Hey, come on, you guys, you know, and, you know, pick it up a little bit, but he, it was more Barton, Matt and, and Tony that did a lot of my training, uh, tough or tough Tony, uh, did some, but a lot of times he wasn't home or he used to go fishing a lot, like in Alaska and stuff like that. So there would be weeks, weeks at a time that he wasn't home, but he would, he would, um, he would be home and help out too. He liked to be around it, be around the boys. Now, how long did you train for before you, uh, about three months, three or four months. Three and what was your first? Did... What? And what was your first? What was your first match as a uh, you know, referee? It was at Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at the uh, casino there, and um, was uh, Colonel De Beers, uh, Matt Bourne, as Doink the Clown against Greg Valentine was the main event. He had Mike Miller on there, Joey Jackson, um, uh, Tony Casina, and he had that kid that he worked with, Chad Chad Manning, and. Um, let's see, I think it was Miller against De Beers and, um, see, it was Matt against, um, Greg Valentine and, and there was a tag match in there too. So, um, yeah. And then Teal Santana and some other guys were, were still working in independence. And, um, so yeah, that was my first match. And then the very next night I was in Portland. No, that was a Wednesday night. And then the very, we went home on Thursday and the very next night was Friday. And that was my first show for Portland at the uh, Aladdin theater in downtown Portland. So I had like in two, in three days I had two cards that I did, you know, I was like thrown into the wolves, you know, I was, um, and back in the business, when you're first starting out like that, you, you help, you help the younger guys help, uh, take the ring out of the truck, set it up, you know, at the end of the show, take it down, put it back in the truck. That was just part of the business that you had to do. That's kind of a lost part today because, some of the younger guys don't do that anymore, but that was just like kind of required of you, you know, just to, that was some of the older school wrestlers, you know, just, Hey, you know, help out with the ring. Oh yeah, sure. You know, whatever. So. Yeah, no, definitely a, a lost art there. I go to a lot of indie shows and I'll help out. I'll help out set up the ring and I'll see a kid who's been wrestling for maybe years. It's like, you know, sitting in a chair, flipping through his phone or talking to his, uh, whoever he's working with and they're working over their match while we're putting the ring together and I'm not even wrestling. So yeah, I, right. I, I can understand that one. Uh, it's a little bit different uh, nowadays. Yes, that's true. Very true. Yeah. So, so, you know, your first match, you know, you're behind the curtain, you know, you're, you're waiting to go out kind of like, you know, what's going through your mind, you know, you know, nerves kicking in. Are you prepared for this? You know, and how did that first match work out? You know, I, I, I wasn't, Matt asked me, he goes, are you nervous? I said, not really. I mean, it's, I just went in and just, I just 
got thrown to the wolves, jumped in the fire, and just just went with what I was taught, and it just went smooth. And even after that very first card I did, Tough Tony was saying to Matt and some of the veterans who were in the on the van that we we rented a big van, he goes, "Who was that guy?" And he goes, "That's Mark." He's been, "Oh yeah, yeah." And he goes, "He did a fantastic job." So to get a compliment from him after my very first card was just phenomenal. You know, it was just like he was like very impressed with me and the work I did in that on that uh, particular night, my first night actually, first real night. Now, when I met you, uh, it was, like I said, around 2004, Portland Wrestling. Uh, Frank Culverson was running at that time. Cleaver Armory also yep. worked with uh, uh, West Coast Wrestling Connection with Jeff Manning. Um, yep. Portland Wrestling, you know, Culverson had a good had, had a good run and all that. And that was kind of like the rebirth of the Portland Territory. Because, I mean, people had tried before, but Frank Culverson had a pretty decent run there. Um, yeah. What was it like getting to work, you know, the Portland territory as it was and actually getting to be in the ring. Cause at that point in time, when we were there, I know Snooka came in, Piper went through uh pork chop cash, made an appearance. Um, right. I remember a lot that, you know, Frank brought in a lot of names uh, during that time. And then he actually had a really good run. What was it like getting to work the, uh, that Portland territory? It was good because even when, when, when Ivan Kofori ran before, um, and this is like 97, 98, 99, 2000. And then Frank kind of started after that. And, um, it was, it was a lot of fun because we did a lot of uh, road shows too. We did shows like in Salem and Eugene and Longview and, um, Bellingham and, uh, up, up North and Olympia and a lot of Portland towns like Pendleton and Hermiston and the Dalles. And so it was, it was, you know, I was busy, you know, two, three days, on the weekend, at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or at least Friday, Saturday, every weekend for a long time for the first, you know, first five, six years. Now, I mentioned the, the Kapori's uh, there around. That was on the, uh, I, I forget, they were a WB or CW, one of the states, they're kind of, a, it was a network, but not that. But uh, uh, okay, that, that was where um, the, the one that Frank was, when was running was Comcast 37. And that was the same channel right. that uh, the Blazers were on at that time. And then the WB was okay. on, uh, that was in, I think, Channel 13 or Channel, something like that, Channel 3 maybe, WB Network. But uh, And that yeah, was the Kapori's that run there? Yeah, correct. Okay. Now, during that run, was that when, because uh, I know Brian Danielson was going through that territory at that time, and he wrestled, uh, for the Kaforis at a time. Were you there for any of that? For, for who are you talking about? Uh, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, whichever the oh, yeah, 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 correct yeah. name is to call him now. <laughs> he, he, well, he just did, he just did, yeah, he did shows up in Washington state. They didn't run, they did run Vancouver and they did run Longview and it was Michelle Starr's ECCW. And he brought in guys like Christopher Daniels. He brought in Tommy Creamer. He brought in Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan or whatever you want to call him. He used to bring in talent, you know, that top indie talent all the time and spike his crowd. And uh, Dr. Luther and some of those guys would come in from Canada or he'd fly him into, you know, fly him into Seattle and they'd come down and work. You'd usually have two shots at a time, like a, like a Friday, Saturday or something like that. I worked for him quite a bit. No, at that time, you know, 
you're you're working with you know Brian Daniels and obviously a young kid at that time. You know, right now you look at him and he's one of the the biggest stars in uh, you know wrestling with AEW and obviously his work in WWE. You know, right. what is that like when you see a, a guy that you worked with at the very beginning when he was just starting and you see him now as the, uh, as, like I said, one well, of the I, top stars in the industry? Well, I, I, I kind of feel proud to be in the spot that I was in to be able to work those guys when, when I did. Um, you know, Tommy Dreamer was great and, and uh, Ladies' Choice and uh, Brian Danielson and uh, uh Falling Angel, Christopher Daniels, they were all great to work with. Every one of them was nice guys and tried to help me out as, you know, as if I needed to, they needed to tell me something or something. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, and now seeing them, you know, now they're like really, really famous. And uh, it's like, you know, like, you know, I got some friends that I know that, that still watch it. And I said, yeah, I used to referee him, you know, when he first started and, like, really? And they still, you know, 20 years later, he's still doing it. Now, one of the guys you're mentioning is uh, Lady's Choice. Um, I don't think he went as far as he could have. Uh, let's talk a yeah. little bit about the Lady's Choice and kind of let our listeners, you know, in on a little bit about just the kind of character he was because he had the look, he had the ability, and you put a microphone in that man's hand, and it was gold as far as promos went, in my opinion. Yeah, well, if you, if you if he was on the microphone, he was gold, and he could run off for you know two three minutes straight without even hesitate hesitating. And some of the things that came out of his mouth was just like, I mean, I, I'd had to I'd have to just keep a straight face, you know, to to you know sometimes if I was in the ring or something, and he got on the mic and, but uh, yeah, he was he was great. I think he could have gone farther if he did. He um, I think he. His father and mother were pretty well to do up in the, I think Nanaimo or somewhere up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and they bought him. Uh, I think they bought him a restaurant and bar, and he used to attend bar there. And so, and and he had a girlfriend at that time, and I'm not sure whatever happened to her, uh, Veronica Lake, and um, and I think he was just content just to do the Northwest stuff because um, you know he had other stuff going on. But yeah, I think he could have gone farther if he would have, you know, if he if he would have tried. Because he had all the ability. He's also done some stand-up comedy. What's that? He's also done some stand-up comedy as well, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Lynn Denton is doing stand-up comedy now, too. In, uh, Lynn, Lynn is in uh, my neck of the woods. He's out here in Texas. Yeah, yes, he is. Yeah, he. I saw him at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and he said he was doing comedy now couple days a month and so um sometimes going to arkansas or going over to oklahoma or you know somewhere in texas so he's he's doing that now now you mentioned cauliflower early club you went to their reunion here a couple weeks ago uh yeah was that your first cauliflower alley or had you been there before no that was my first one i'd always and how was that that was great it was wonderful uh, I'd always wanted to go, but I always had something going on, like with my kids who were growing up, and I was coaching them in sports and basketball and soccer and stuff like that. And so, like, I was usually, you know, like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or I had to work, or I just didn't have the time, or, or you know, um, I was just 
I a couple times had planned to go, but then the last year COVID and it got canceled. And so, but I finally made it this year. So that was, that was a great experience to uh, sit down and see, you know, Ricky Santana, who was here in Portland, Fidel Fiera, who was the assassin and Top Gun in Portland. And they were there with Lenny. And, and so it was, it was neat seeing Kevin Sullivan and some other, you know, famous guys, old timers that uh, were there. That was, that was great. Seeing Joe too, and because I don't see him as much as I used to, but um, and he had a show in California the very next night or that very next weekend. Two days later, yeah, yeah, two, two nights later. later, yeah, yeah. So, um, one 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 more question here. I'm going to ask one more uh, about one more guy you mentioned, and that's uh, Doctor Luther. Obviously, AEW now part of the Chaos Project with uh, Serpentico. You know, you got a story or two you can tell us about, you know, Luger, because our listeners are going to know him from, obviously, AEW. Some might know, you know, his Japan days. But, you know, you and I both got a chance to, you know, work with him, be around him when he was doing the uh, right. the Portland Territory and work in Canada. Well, yeah, I, I got two stories. I mean, he was always real nice to me and very respectful. And I remember one night in, I think we were up in Olympia, and he was fighting, I don't know if you remember, Damon Sight, who worked for Frank. Yes. Tall. He had mm-hmm. a lot I of remember martial, Damon. Yeah, he had a lot of martial arts skills. And he had caught Dr. Luther right below his lip and cut him open right in that little crease right right by your chin. And cut him open. And the hospital came. He had to have stitches or whatever. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was a stiff shot that shouldn't have happened, but it happened. And... Uh, and, you know, doctor was like, you know, he could tell he was upset, but he didn't, he didn't go off on Damon or anything like that. I remember, but I remember a couple of years later, Frank's, it was Dr. Luther versus Damon Scythe. And uh, Dr. Luther gave Damon his receipt for that night earlier, few years earlier, you know, and Dan and I saw Damon, uh, you know, it only took about three or four minutes into the match and I knew what was going on. I didn't know beforehand, but I could just tell how stiff he was. And uh, and uh, I talked to Damon after, you know, back in the dressing room after that match. And uh, he was, yeah, I kind of knew it was coming, you know. And I guess we're even now. So, yeah, he didn't forget, that's for sure. He was also great on the mic, too. You know, he had that, like, oh, like crazy, crazy eyes. He got that little red dot in his forehead. You know, would paint his eyes, you know, stuff around his eyes, and yeah, he was he was very good and very. He worked for WCW back in the late eighties. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, I think the AEW fans nowadays, you know, they, the Luther they're seeing is not, you know, the Luther that we knew because obviously, you know, age and years kind of catch up to you and all that, but still a great talent in the ring. Yeah, I saw him. I actually, I guess he's doing more. Um, dark matches and stuff, but I did see him on TV um, for AEW well, about a month or so ago, and uh, he looked a little, little bit slower than he was when he was in Portland, but he still had he still had it, you know, he still had it. So um, yeah, he's uh, he's good friends. I think one of his best friends in the business is Chris Jericho, and I think that's where yes. probably where he got his assignment for for that gig, and he goes down there every week. Yeah, Jericho I think he told me that after Jim, his father, uh, Julie's uh, father died, who Jim 
Anderson, who's in the business for many, many years with Sandy and, and was around the boys and gave them rides and stuff. Mm. And I think after he died, I think Dr. Luther and Julie moved down to Florida because that's where all his work was. So instead of flying there every, you know, every week. Right. Yeah, Luther was uh, handpicked by Jericho for his 30th anniversary match on uh, Dynamite. So that was probably where you saw him because it was the uh, it was a TV match. It was the Pentico versus uh, Jericho and Hager. So. Yeah, yeah. And then he's also at the beginning of the show, before they had fans, fans, you'd see him in the front row there because they were trying to make it look like, you know, some of the boys and and some of the cameramen and stuff like that were all sitting in the front row and you'd see him. You know, as the camera panned around, then you could see him, you know, trying to, you know, fill fill up the spot so it didn't look completely empty. Right. Yeah, they had a lot it of was, guys doing that. All right. Well, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn for a couple of questions. I, okay, I, I, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn. I, I think I can handle that, Mike. Thanks. Uh, I got a few questions for our guest, uh, Mr. Mark Watson, here on this edition of Wrestling Memories. And you talked about your connection with the Bourne family, uh, Tough Tony and, and Matt. Uh, there was another family that was pretty predominant uh, in in that area. Uh, I'm talking about the, the Barr family and uh, Sandy and his sons, uh, Jesse Barr, and, of course, the late, great Art Barr. Uh, what can you remember? Do you remember, did you ever, like, get to, to know those guys? And uh, what do you remember of, of the Barr family? Because Sandy was had a pretty big presence uh, in, in keeping some of the shows going in, in Portland in that area uh, after Owen retired. Right. Yeah. I did work for Sandy a little bit um, up in Washington because uh, for a long time he couldn't get a license in Oregon. But I did work for him a couple of times in Portland and I did work for him a, a couple of times up in Washington. Um, and I got to know his brother, Josh Barr, who is Jesse's brother, and uh, got to know Sandy. And um, Jesse, I met at Sandy's funeral because Jesse lives in Texas or some Louisiana or somewhere around there. So I got to meet him, but I never got to referee Jesse. Oh, wait, I think I did one time. Yeah, I think he came back just for one time a shot. But so I did get to, I, I knew Josh, I know Josh really well because um, he he used to run some shows and he had a ring and everything. So sometimes he would call me or uh, Psycho Sailor would call me because he was booking for, uh, for Josh and, uh, so I, I got to know Josh pretty good, and uh, and Sandy before he passed. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that must have been hard on Sandy though to lose uh, one of his sons, uh, losing Art and Art being so young and just basically he was on his on his way. Both him and Eddie Guerrero had such a, a great tag team internationally, and they were they were poised to uh, have a pretty pretty big career in ECW. Of course, that plans uh, fell apart when when Art uh, passed away, but. That must have just been uh, a pretty heavy thing to to have uh, a father lose his son like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I know that um, Art had all the talent in the world, and um, he was definitely on his way up, definitely on his way up with Eddie and the uh, American Love Machines or something like that. Was that mm-hmm. what they were, is that what they were called? Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, he's um, I I did meet our but I never got to referee art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, 
there's just so many characters up in that Portland uh, territory that have wrestled for for Don and you know the Don Owen family and uh, also indies along the way uh, when when Don uh, shut the doors uh, back way back when. But uh, one of some of the, one of the names I want to mention. I don't know if you ever worked with him, uh, and it's a guy that uh, he's had his. his Fair share. He's had some controversy. He, he said some things through the years. I've had a chance to interview him a few years ago, and uh, yeah, he was very outspoken, but he was very respectful at the same time. What can you tell? Did you ever come along and cross paths with Billy Jack Haynes? Because I know he was in and out of the area uh, in the '90s and uh, back and forth doing doing shows before his his career winded down. You know, I, he did come to some shows and. Um... He did um, help sell some tickets to some shows for Ivan Kafori, and I did meet him, and he knows who I am, and I know who he is, but I never got to referee him. I think his last match in Portland was for Sandy, and it was against Jimmy Snuka, um, and that was around 90, 96, or somewhere around there. It was right before I started working for, for working for uh, for Matt and Tough Tony. Um, but, yeah, I, I did meet him. I did come across him. He's still in the Portland area in southeast portland over by that foster road there and um he's still around he's still around and still so uh, character i mean he's kind of kind of been quiet uh in recent months but a, a couple of years ago he was really out and 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 speaking his mind and uh, telling uh people some things and, and and basically just kind of blowing some people's minds with some of the uh the claims that he was making but uh, you you did mention you worked with uh ed Wiskowski, aka Colonel De Beers. Now, I had a taste of, uh, we watched here, I'm in AWA country uh, in northwestern okay. Minnesota. So I didn't, you know, I saw Ed Wiskowski in magazines beforehand. I didn't, it took me a, okay. a little bit to connect the dots and to, when he be, when Colonel, this Colonel De Beers came in. I eventually figured it okay. out, but Colonel De Beers, now, what a, what a character. I mean, even before that, I mean, in Portland, he was doing some crazy stuff. Uh, but let's talk about Ed Wiskowski because this is another one of these guys that have really fascinates me. Yeah, he was he was in Portland in the late seventies, early eighties. For um, he was a tech team's partner with Buddy Rose, and also he was here working. He did some more AWA stuff in '86 around there, and he had a few to Snuka, and then he came back to Portland. Um, uh, let's see, let's see '86 until about now. He was in he was in there. Uh, until about 90. Then he worked for the UWF down in Florida for uh, Teal Santana's group. And then from there, once the AWA folded, I think he moved back to Portland for Vancouver, actually. And he used to work at the uh, the horse racing track over there right off I-5 and, and Marine Drive. And then a uh, security guard. But then he um, also uh, worked for Ivan Kafori. He worked for... Uh, he worked for Matt on some of his independent shows in, uh, in Coeur d'Alene and, and some other shows that he did. Um, I don't remember him working for Frank, I think. And we did work for CC Poison up in Astoria. But I don't remember him working for Frank. I know he worked for Sandy a lot. But I don't remember him working for Frank. And uh, But he had the great gift of the gab, too. He could get on the mic and, he could get on the mic and talk, talk up a storm, you know. You mentioned Tito Santana being in in, in uh, the Portland area. Uh, was that around the time when there was talk? I don't know. I you have to maybe you know about this. I, I heard little dribs and drabs uh, of the 
in about mid nineties, this AWF promotion came up, and there was the wrestling promotion yes. that had the round system. Now there was, you know, right. they, they based a lot of TV and stuff. But I have heard that there was some rumblings that they were going to bring some shows into the Portland area. Did that really ever play out, or was it just a couple of guys who worked for that territory? Were, were, no, they brought in they brought in the whole crew for three nights in a row up in Rochester, Washington, which is really close to Tehalis at the Lucky Eagle Casino. So it's about an hour and a half from Portland mm-hmm. north up in uh, up, up in that uh, Indian Casino. They ran that like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then he did come in for Matt and worked for him a couple times at the, at the uh, Coeur d'Alene Casino in Idaho. Mm-hmm. So I did probably referee him probably four or five times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember, I think it was an interview I, I did with a uh, uh, Native American wrestler by the name of Charlie Norris, who was in the AWF. He said he, he did some stuff out there and said he really enjoyed uh, just being out in that part of the country. Yeah, yeah, they did come by once. And uh, I, I, think they, I think they had a fair crowd on Friday night, and I, and I went there with my brother on Saturday night, and they had a decent crowd, and I'm not sure how they did on a Sunday matinee, but... Um, and I'm sure it was a sold show, mm-hmm. um, because that's what usually happens at casinos, but, um, they never came back to the Northwest, at least that I wasn't aware of. So, mm-hmm. so you did, did you got, you guys never had any, uh, Herb Abrams talks or any rumors of him ever coming around with the UWF or was that just something that was just kind of, he never quite ever expanded up into that area or he, even had talk. He never, no, he, he never made it up here that far. Cause there was other promoters, you know, Frank was running and, um, Ivan was running and Sandy was running and it was like, can't get too many territories. And then star was running Washington and you get too many promoters up here and you water it down, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, well, before I get back to Mike, uh, a guy that, uh, lived in the area and, 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 uh, of course he did uh, lots of stuff on, on, on TV and working with the various guys, a true legend uh, who we lost a few years back, uh, R- rowdy, rowdy Piper, uh, Roddy definitely uh, had had a, a, his home out there uh, and did some cool things with Portland. Uh, did you remember seeing Roddy, whether it be working with him in the ring or just you know being at a show and checking out uh, what he was doing at that time when he was so close to his home out there? I worked with him in the ring, and then I also worked with him. And he, he was in the locker room, and he was booking for uh, he was booking for Frank and uh, and Mike Rogers was helping out too. Um, so I, I was in the locker with him, with him and Pete Schweitzer too. Um, it was booking for him. And so I did, I did, we talked quite a bit and, um, he gave me some pointers too, even later in my career, you know, just, you know, hit that, hit that mat hard as you can, you know, cause we were on TV and I had a headset on and I would, they would tell me when to go home, you know, just kind of like WWE had and, uh, and you just, you know, just a little, just little things. He knew exactly what I was doing. He saw me one time at the Roseland Theater, and it was a Kafori show, and he was good friends with Jeff Kafori. He was, Jeff Kafori was his assistant for a while, I think in one of his first books. And uh, he he was, they were sitting up in the balcony, and they, no one knew he was there because he was kind of sitting in the back, and it was all dark in there and everything. And he told Jeff Kafori, and Jeff Kafori told me this later on, we're talking maybe 19, probably 99, 2000, somewhere around there. And he said, he said, you give me, give me five minutes with your referee and he'll be right there. And I was like, wow, what a compliment to have Roddy say about me to the promoter, you know? So I thought that was totally cool. 
Yeah, that definitely must have been uh, just something in, you know internally. You must have felt really, really, really just psyched to be I able to get, to get that endorsement oh, yeah. from Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, look at all the hell he raised up in those territories, man. He was a trip, man, and man, we lost him way too, way too soon. Yeah, yeah, that was just a couple, three, four years ago, right? Is, is it? Has it been uh, that Mike? Five? Yeah, Mike, was it about no, five it years not- now for Piper? Uh, about five or six, yeah, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, about five years ago. Yeah. yeah. What a, what a talent! I'm going to bring Mike back in. Uh, he's going to. Uh, okay. got a, he's definitely got a few more questions, boy. I, I I know he's chomping at the bit. He's like, "Come on, Glenn, give it on over to me." Mike, take it <laughs> over, man. Take it over. Okay. That's been a pleasure. Nice um, to meet you. Yeah. We're talking about Roddy Piper, not um. I don't remember for sure, Mark, but were you? Did you referee uh, the match at the State Fair between Piper and Sierra when Duggan wasn't able to make it? Yes. Yep. I did referee the State Fair, and uh, all all. Three and, and you refereed Don, that match. Yeah, uh, all three times that Don Collins and uh, Frank Culberson came there. I think it was three years in a row, and we were the that first year in that pavilion. We were the second show that brand new pavilion that they built right next to the armory. We were the second mm-hmm. show ever to be in there on a Saturday. And the, the, the first day of the fair was Peter Frampton was there in concert on the first night. We were there the second night. So it was like a brand new building, brand new locker rooms, new everything. It was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty neat. It's kind of a fun story about that match. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fill Glenn in our listeners as well. Uh, it was supposed to have been Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Fidel Sierra in a flag match or capture the right. flag, I believe it was. So obviously USA right. versus, you know, Cuba and all that. But due to, I think it was weather or there was like a hurricane, Duggan wasn't able to make it. Piper was supposed to be like a guest referee. But right before right. the show started, they made the decision and Piper ended up becoming Fidel Sierra's opponent, opponent in the yeah. flag match. And the fans yeah. didn't. Didn't know anything about that until actually when the show started. And Piper wasn't wrestling at that point in time that much. So to actually get a chance yeah. to see Piper in the ring, I mean, that was, you know, huge for the fans. You got to referee yeah. it. How was that for you? Because, I mean, that's a moment I still remember. You know, I got to see Piper yeah. fight in the ring. Yeah, I also got to referee him in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, against Gorgeous Michelle Starr. So um, that was that was, that was was a trip, too. Yeah, no, he's a true professional. I mean, he uh, wrestled. 6,000, 7,000, 10,000 matches over his career. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Now, looking back over your career, like you said, 23 years in the business, um, who are some of your, you know, your favorites to work with in the ring? And what's a match or two that stands out and why? Well, definitely, definitely Matt Bourne. Um, and also the, Piper did a Piper's pitch show for Ivan Kafori down at the, at the University of Oregon basketball court, and that was a lot of fun. There was you know like four or five thousand people there, and they had a really good card on there. They had Dan the Beast Severin, and they had um, Josh Wilcox, and they had the Grappler, and they had Matt versus um, Greg Valentine and Dog Collar match, and Shell Star, you know, did the gay gimmick, and he fought a girl. It was Miss Pittsburgh. She was a bodybuilder, and that was that was a lot of fun. And and so so that card stands out in my mind because it was it was probably one one of the ones that I uh, 
I got to uh, uh, referee the whole show. And because um, when I first started, I was the only referee. I had to be licensed in both states, and I was like the only one. And so for many years, I was the only guy on the card. I can remember doing another memorable night as we were doing three TV tapings at the Roseland Theater down in Portland and for Ivan Kafori and I was the only referee and we, I refereed 17 matches in one night. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot. I remember that card and, uh, and working for Frank, a lot of those shows were memorable too with the guys that he brought in. Um, it was always a pleasure to go to the TV. It wasn't that far from my house, maybe 20 minutes down, down, just down in port, uh, Northeast Portland and oh, kind of close to the airport. And, so it's it's always a pleasure, you know. We'd be there at five, get home by eight, and you know we never had to be out too late or anything like that. And so it was, you know, and, and just wrestling some guys I never a refereed before. Tommy Dreamer was one. Greg Valentine, I probably refereed him like six times, and uh, again Christopher Daniels, and and just some of the talent that that was brought in. Um, I know I'm not I'm missing a lot of people, but um, I, I even wrote it down on the list, and it was like over. 60 guys who are like really famous and uh buddy wayne and brian alvarez always put on a good show um you know they were usually first or second on the card colonel de beers was always a treat he'd make me laugh you know and he was he was an old old son of gun by the time he retired but he'd been doing it for 30 30 almost 40 years yeah i've i've known ed for a few years as well Couple of funny stories from him at Cauliflower Alley Club that I'll I'll, ha- I'll have to give you a call and share with you sometime. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, fine. You mentioned the uh, you know when Frank was bringing in the California guys. One of those guys that was coming up, and I don't know if you ever got a chance to referee a match with him, uh, is now on NXT, and that's Timothy Thatcher. Did you ever get a chance to uh, work with Timothy Thatcher yes. during uh, the Corbin time? I did. I did. Many times, all, all those guys that came up, uh, and and the guy from Reno, what was his name? Um, Timothy and Thatcher's partner. Um, guys, all the tattoos all over. Uh, usually, that would be uh, Adam Thornstow, and he also had Lester and Legend, which are now Reno Stone. Right, right. Yeah, those guys, Adam Thornstow. And what was the other guy's name? Uh, Lester the Legend. That was uh, that's uh, Thornstow's oh, yeah, tag yeah. team partner. Yeah. I got a referee. All the, the guy time. with the big mohawk. Yes, the big mohawk. He was about six feet six tall or something like that. But, he, he was a, he was a big fella. Nice guy though. Yeah, they were all really nice. They're all really nice. You know, I never not got along with any of them. Oh, a couple of shows I did that I forgot about is I did a couple of army base shows up in uh, Whidbey Island and up there way far up north in Washington at uh, army base and got to do uh, public enemy. Got to do um, the Nasty Boys. Got to do um, uh, who else was there? Um, the only three guys that came from Portland was me, Joey Jackson, and Ken Stillwell, the announcer. And Joey had the ring, so we got to work up there because he needed a referee. Joey got to work because he was his ring, and Ken got to work because they needed an announcer. But they they had some good shows up there too. They probably worked there four or five times. They do that like once a year. Now, do you follow any of the uh, any of the current product WWE, AEW, any of that? Do I get what? Do you watch any of the current product? I I watch the AEW every Wednesday and Friday. I don't really watch the WWE too much because, in my opinion, 
AEW is so much more. It's a, I think it's better in my opinion. They, and WWE's still got their hands. They get too many of these vignettes. They never get color anymore, you know. And it's just kind of it just doesn't appeal to me. But now these guys are bringing in like Sting, and they're bringing in, you know, some of these some of these legends who um, have been around WCW and and uh, um, um, what's his name? Uh, we we're just talking about him. Uh, the guy that's Luther's friend, uh, um, uh, what's Jericho. Chris Jericho, yeah, Jericho. Jericho, yeah. And so I think I think they got a lot of I think they have a lot of good talent. I like seeing Tully Blanchard as a manager. I like seeing Arn Anderson as a manager. You know, those guys go. I go way back with those guys from watching them on TV when I was younger, and um, and I really enjoyed I, I enjoyed the Four Horsemen. Uh, got to meet Ric Flair twice. I uh, never got to referee him, but I did get to, get to meet him twice. Once, twice, in, both times in Portland. One in the WWE locker room when I had a I had a tryout with WWE in 1991, and um, in front of 16,000 people. That was a memory. But I only did one dark match. And that was uh, Lance Storm and Fit Finley against Law Resistance. I don't know if you remember those guys, but I got to do a dark match. Um, never got called back, but uh, <laughs> I did get called back. But, and Matt was in my corner, and, and he talked to Tom Pritch, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who was uh, running the book and kind of an agent at that time. And he Matt called him and said, you know, you should use him when you guys come to town, you know, and it never happened after that one time, but you know, at least I could see I did it once. There you go. Watching current product and not, you know, watching AEW. Uh, what do you? How do you feel the role of the referee has changed from uh, you know when you were in the ring? Because a lot of times now it just seems like the referee is just there to count the three. They're not enforcing well, rules, you know, like they used to. I, well, I I think they're you know, then and they're a lot younger than I am now, so I, I see. What they what they're doing, they're a lot more engaged as far as when they do a um, when there's like a, a hold that is like um, you know do you want to give it up and they're like you know are you okay do you want to give it up submit do you want to submit like that and, and uh, but that one girl referee is really good she's I'm really impressed with her with the ponytail I don't know her name but some of guys yeah yeah she's really good and but some of these guys you know I like you said are better than others you know some of them are a little more you know, a little more on the ball. Yeah. And, uh, other ones are, you know, I, I, I don't even recognize, I mean, there's, they don't have any guys like Earl Hebner or Pee Wee Anderson or any of those guys that used to be referees for like WCW. They're all, they're all fairly new as far as I can tell. All right. Well, Mark, I'd like to thank you for joining us, uh, this week. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I'd like to extend the invitation to have you back on and talk some more stories about, you know, the guys you got to work with and all that. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn because we're coming to the end of uh, this week's episode. Okay. Yeah. Yes, okay. we are. Yes, I we are. I'd like, I would like to do that again. That would be fun. Thank you so much, Mark. That was really uh, cool just to kick back, listen, and throw a few questions your way. And you're definitely welcome back uh, on the show anytime. Thank you so much. I, I'm, uh, anytime you guys want to do it, I'm available. Excellent. For Mark Watson and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories.